Let's come to God in prayer as we turn to God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the word that we have been able to just read from your uh, inspired word, Lord God. We thank you for all the things that we have uh, been able to, 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 to see in this. And Lord, as we turn to this now and think about some things from this passage of scripture, we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, and that you would draw those in this place to yourself who don't know you yet. Father God, we also pray uh, and thank you for uh, being able to give you an offering, Lord God. We, we thank you that you have given to us good gifts, uh, and out of those good gifts that you have given to us, that we're able to give back to you. So Father, we pray that you would be with us in a very real and even tangible way. Let us feel your presence in this place this morning uh, as we come to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, just as we as we come to God's word, I have a question for you, uh, and it's a, it's a hands up question. So uh, please feel free to put your hands up. But uh, does anyone here like watching TV? Hands up, hands up. Some people, yeah, okay. Some people not so much. Some people like watching TV. Well, I'm I'm a I'm a TV watcher, uh, and and I like watching TV. But I don't know for those of you who do like watching TV, there was a TV program on. Uh, a few years ago, I wonder if you remember, it was called Neighbours from Hell. Does anyone remember it? Yeah, some people, some people. Okay, that's good, that's good. Uh, so anyway, this, this TV program, Neighbours from Hell, basically what it was, people came on the TV and they, they talked about their experience about living next to someone who was the neighbour from hell. So their next door neighbour was always trying to do things on them. They were trying to damage their property. They were trying to hurt them. They were trying to do all of these things. Uh, and, and that's what the premise of the show was, that people were telling their stories. And I don't know about you, maybe maybe you have, as a neighbour, somebody who, who is the neighbour from hell. Maybe there's someone who lives next to you uh, that does all these things. Or m- maybe you are that neighbour, but we'll not say uh, any more about that. But as, as we think about that TV programme and, and this neighbour from hell, you know, none of those people on that TV programme, none of those neighbours hold a candle to this man that we meet in in Mark chapter 5. In some ways, this man in Mark chapter 5 truly is the neighbour from hell. Now, to set the scene a little bit, Jesus and his disciples, they had just got off a boat. They had had a really traumatic experience on that boat. The the wind and the waves battered their boat and, and they feared for their lives. But Jesus saved them. Jesus said to the waves, peace be still. That's That happens at the end of Mark chapter 4. And then immediately after they get off that boat, these disciples, immediately after they get off the boat, through this traumatic experience, they're met with this man right here. And this isn't a good meeting. This isn't the type of man that they want to meet after this really bad experience that they had on the boat. You know, I'd say the disciples, after the boat experience, just wanted to relax. But that wasn't what was going to happen. As soon as they get off the boat, verse 2 tells us, they're met by a, a crazy, naked, bruised, cut, dirty, howling, scary, screaming man. Not a very good picture of this man. As, I, as we come to God's word this morning, I just want to think about three things from this passage. I want to think about this man, first of all. I want to think about his meeting with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, I want to think about the responses that we see to Jesus' transforming power in this passage. So let's first think about about this man who we're met with uh, at the start of chapter 5. So this man, he, he's, he's a social outcast of a man. 
He's been driven away from, from his home. He's, he's possessed and he's oppressed by demons and, and by evil forces. His neighbours, he was so bad that his neighbours had tried to tie him up with chains and shackles. But, but he always found some way. He found the strength to break free. And he tormented the villagers. He tormented his neighbours. He tormented everyone around him until his neighbours could take no more. His neighbours could take no more and they drove him out to live amongst the tombs. Or, or passage tells us that. Jesus asks this man when he meets him. He asks the man a very typical question. He says, what's your name? But the man is so riddled with these evil forces, he can't even answer for himself. And it's the evil forces that answer and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a legion is is, is a military term for for a regiment of soldiers of around about 6,000 men. That's a lot of men. So that's the the reason the, the demon answered in that way, was to show the magnitude of this man's problem. He was in deep, deep trouble. 6,000 evil spirits were controlling this man. And that was the magnitude of this man's problem. As I've already said, he had been driven to live among the tombs. Now we understand tombs as somewhere where, where dead people are taken and, and buried. And that's, we, we call it laying people to rest. But this man amongst the tombs, he found no rest. And that's what we're meant to see here. He, he found no rest. He was spiritually dead. And that's why he's living amongst the tombs. You see, the description of this man that we read uh, of, of being uh, uh, in misery, this man is in torment. He, 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 he self-harms. He howls with an unearthly scream day and night. In this description of this man, we're meant to see how utterly depraved this man was. There was no good in this man at all. There was no righteousness in this man. He was a a slave to evil. He was a slave to sin. He was a slave to evil forces. And that got me thinking when I was preparing for this morning. If if a man who filled this description came in through that door right now, what would we do? This is a scary man. This is a really scary, scary man. And if a man filling this description came in through the door right now, what would we do? Well, my guess for me, I can only answer for myself, but I would run a mile. I, I would run, run a mile in the other direction because this is a, a scary, scary human, human being. But the thing about it is, in the description that we have in the Bible of this man, what we are meant to see is that we as people are not all that different from this man. Why do I say that? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. That's not the Bible's description of this man. That's the Bible's description of us. We are no different from this man. In some senses, we're no different. You see, you may not be under the the direct indwelling forces of evil, but the Bible describes those who do not know Christ as a slave to sin, in whom there is no righteousness at all. Let me repeat that. The Bible describes those who do not know Christ as a slave to sin, in whom there is no righteousness. Totally lost. Without Christ, we are totally lost. Totally without hope. 
But we have to be thankful to God that that's not where the story ends. That man isn't the same at the end of the story as he is at the start. Why? Because he has a powerful encounter, a powerful meeting with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's the second thing I want to think of. We thought about the man and his, his condition, his, uh, the fact that he wasn't righteous in any way. But let's think about the one now who is righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus meets this man, and when, after Jesus asks this man his name, the, the, the demons that are controlling this man, they, they know who Jesus is. They know exactly who Jesus is. Now, in biblical history, if, at this point in the biblical story, I don't think even Jesus' disciples knew exactly who he was. They knew he was a great teacher. They knew he could do miracles. But I don't think they knew that he was the Son of God himself. But these demons know that Jesus was the Son of God, and they address him by name in verse 7. When these demons meet Jesus, they say, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I want us to notice here at this point that this man who, who couldn't be restrained by chains, remember he broke away from chains and shackles, nothing that his neighbours could do could restrain him. But this man who, was, who couldn't be restrained by chains and shackles and ropes was instantly and totally restrained by the very presence of the Son of God. That's what had restrained this man. Chains and shackles couldn't hold him, but Jesus' presence could. And in this we see Jesus' power over spiritual things, over the spiritual world. Jesus confronts these, these evil spirits he, that, that are controlling this man and casts them out. He, they, he casts them out because he has authority over these evil forces, which is an amazing thing to think about in, in and of itself. You see, Jesus has, has power over all of creation. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was the creator of the word. In John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was the word. That means Jesus. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus because he is the creator of all creation, has power and authority over all creation. And because he has this power, these evil spirits, they need, to, they need Jesus' Jesus's permission to do whatever they want to do. They need Jesus' permission to do what they desire. See, I don't know if you ever think about the, this, a spiritual battle or the spiritual battle that goes on in the world around us. There are, there's a battle going on that sometimes we can't even see. And I don't know if you ever think about that. But if you do, sometimes when we do think about it, we think about it in terms of, of God on one side and, and Jesus on the other. Or God on one side and the devil on the other. And, and they're going at each other. and It's like a boxing match. They're, they're hitting each other blow for blow. And, and, and it's two really strong forces who are going at each other fighting. But that's not the picture of the spiritual battle that we have in the Bible. The picture of the spiritual battle that we have in the Bible is that Jesus is more powerful than any evil forces there is in this world. And these evil forces, even they, need Jesus' permission to do what they want to do. You see, Jesus has power over these forces, over these evil spirits, because they're not on, a, on, a, on an equal footing. You know, if it was boxing terms, to go back to the boxing analogy, God, Jesus, is a, is a heavyweight. And these evil forces, well, they didn't even 
they didn't even qualify to enter the boxing ring. That's how much different the, 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 the forces are of good and, and of evil. And when they, Jesus meets these, the, these demons through this man, these demons ask Jesus if they can enter the pigs. That's where they want to go. They want to enter the pigs, and, and Jesus allows them to enter the pigs. Uh, and the, the pigs, when, they enter, when, when, when these evil spirits enter the pigs, the pigs run down a steep slope and go into the water, fall into the water, and, and they drown. The pigs die. Now, that may not sound like a big thing. You know, animals do pass away. But what I want us to realize from the text that we read is that this was a herd of 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of animals. This wasn't just one or two pigs that that rushed down and died in in water. This was a whole herd of of 2,000 pigs and was probably the villages, the nearby village that's mentioned at the end was probably their main source of income. So the question is, why does Jesus allow this to happen? Why does Jesus allow these people's income to be taken away from them? Why does Jesus allow these evil spirits to go in to the pigs? And I want to give us two reasons. And really these two reasons are the same side, or the different sides of the same coin. The first reason Jesus allows this to happen is because when these evil spirits hit the pigs, the true destructive intentions of Satan and his demons are revealed. You see, the Bible tells us in John chapter 10 that the thief, that's talking about Satan, John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So that's the first reason. The the true destructive intent of, of, of Satan and his demons are revealed in the killing of these pigs. But the second reason that Jesus allows this to happen is because when the these evil spirits hit the pigs, it's a really powerful visual illustration of what this man had been delivered from. He had been delivered from all of these evil spirits. He had been delivered from his unrighteousness. He had been delivered from his lack of hope. He had been delivered from all of these things. You see, that verse in John chapter 10 that I just quoted a minute ago does start, the thief comes only to kill, to steal and destroy. But that verse goes on to say, Jesus says himself, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That's an amazing thought. That's an, an, an amazing thought to think about. You see, in Jesus, in delivering this man from the evil that controls him, Jesus has given this man a, a second chance at life. How great would it be when we can get a second chance at doing something, especially life? But God, Jesus, gives this man a second chance at life. He gives him a new life. He gives him a new hope. He gives him a new reason to live. You see, Jesus, through his meeting with this man, transformed this man's life. And we see that in in the contrast between this man at the start of the portion of Scripture that we read and then in verse 15. You see, in the first five verses, we read that this man is, uh, is crazy. That he's out of his mind. That he's naked. But in verse 15 we read that this man is seen and sitting there and clothed and in his right mind. He was naked and crazy. Now he's clothed and seen. Such is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Such is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You know, 
If you're a Christian here this morning in this place, when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, something absolutely amazing happened to you. And I want to tell you what that is. When you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a matter of you coming to church every Sunday. It wasn't just a matter of you setting yourself to to read the Bible every day or, or do good things in the community. When you came to Jesus Christ and believed in him, you were raised from the dead. Now that may shock some of you here. But that's what the Bible tells us. When someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God does a miracle in their life and raises them from the dead. Not physically, but spiritually. Spiritually raised from the dead. You know, the great exchange happened. Jesus took your sin, the the sin that is in each of our lives that keeps us back from God, that separates us from God. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross and gave us his perfect righteousness, his goodness, his his nature, the, the thing that would draw us back and reconcile us back to God. These are an amazing, this is an amazing thing. You know, when you think about what was done for you on the cross, if you're a Christian in this place this morning, does it excite you? Are you excited by by the thing that has been done for you and saving you from your sin and giving you salvation? Does it excite you? But let me turn that coin around. Let me turn that car around. Because the Bible doesn't just talk about Christians. The Bible talks about people who do not believe in Jesus Christ as well. And I want to tell you what the Bible says about you. But first, before I tell you, I want to say that I tell you this out of a place of love. I tell you this out of a place of deep desire that you would come to know Christ if you don't already do that. What the Bible says about you if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ is that you are dead. Not physically, but spiritually. You are dead. That's quite a strong language, but that's what the Bible says. Those who don't know Christ. The Bible says in in Ephesians chapter 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. My question to you this morning. If you realize that you are dead. Separated from God in your trespasses and your sins. On one hand. And you realize on the other hand. That Jesus Christ has come to give you life. And to give you hope. Will you not come this morning to Jesus Christ? Will you not come to the one who can give you that new life? Will you not come to the one who gives us hope and gives us a reason to live, who transforms our lives? Will you not come this morning to this one who died to save us from our sins? This man in verse 13 that we read about was drawn from the dead spiritually and he was given new life. And then in verse 19 and 20, this man moves from the place of the dead, the tombs. He moves back into the place of the living, back to the city. Now I want to think, finally, we've thought about the man himself. Then we thought about uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ's encounter with this man. And I said the last thing I want to think about is the responses that we see in the passage. The responses to, of the people to Jesus' transforming power. Now I've entitled my third focus, my third point, responses, plural. Because we don't just see one response to the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. We see at least three. We see at least three. 
One we've already thought about. The response of the demons. They know as soon as they meet Jesus that their, their fate is sealed. And there's nothing that they can do about it. And, and so when they meet Jesus, they beg him that they, do, they could do what they want. The, the evil spirits, they beg Jesus. And Jesus allows them to do what they want. Now the second response we see to Jesus' transforming power is from the villagers in verse 17. The villagers, the people go back and tell, every, tell the villagers everything that had happened. And the villagers come out. And what do they do in verse 17? They beg Jesus to leave. These villagers, they beg Jesus to leave. They have, see, they have heard about this amazing thing, this amazing deliverance that has happened. But they don't want anything to do with Jesus. I wonder why that is. They have seen the work Jesus can do. Why do they ask him to leave? Well, I think it's probably because their income has been removed. And they're worried that if Jesus stays, that something's going to have to give. Something, they're going to have to give up something in their life. And so they, they beg Jesus to leave. They, they don't want him to stay. You see, these villagers, they weigh up the cost of this man's life compared to the cost of the pigs. And they would rather maintain their financial security than give their lives to Christ. They would rather maintain their financial security than see this man delivered from the evil that controls him. I want to ask you a question. And it's a bit of a cringy question, but you'll have to bear with me on this. These pigs were what stopped the villagers from trusting in Jesus. What's stopping you? What are the pigs in your life this morning? What are the things that that hold you back from coming to Christ and accepting him as saviour and trusting him for salvation that you may be reconciled to God? Is it family? Is it the fear of losing friends? Is it, for some of you here, the fear of losing some financial security that you have? I want to ask the question, I want to ask that question, what is stopping you from coming to Jesus, from trusting him? You see, the villagers, they come out, they heard all that has gone on, has gone, gone on, and they come out and they beg Jesus to leave. So the demons have begged Jesus for something, the villagers have begged Jesus for something, and finally we see this man's response. This man who had been delivered from these evil spirits. This man begs Jesus in the last few verses. This man begs Jesus that he might go with him. You see, this man has experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And he never wants to be separated from Jesus again. He never wants to be separated from Jesus again. But before we go any further, I I just want us to notice all the begging that's going on here. I want us to notice all the begging. The the demons beg Jesus for something. The villagers beg Jesus for something. And this man has begged, is begging Jesus for something. Why are they all begging Jesus? Why are they all begging Jesus? The answer is because he is sovereign and he rules over everything. He is in control of everything. You see, sometimes we have a wrong picture of God. And the picture that we have of of God is, is, is almost Christ begging us to come to him. You know, Christ sort of, sort of pleading with us to become his people. But that's not how the Bible describes what Jesus does. You see, being a Christian, following and trusting Christ is an absolute privilege. It's an absolute privilege. Christ doesn't need us. 
This is a, a stark reality. Christ doesn't need us. We need him. Every day we need him. So this man, he, he begs Jesus that he may go with him, but Jesus says no. Jesus allowed the demons to do what they wanted. Jesus allowed the villagers, gave the villagers what they wanted. But this man, he wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says no. Why? Because this man, because of the transformation that he's, uh, he has experienced, is now a witness for Jesus. He's, he, 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 he has a job to do. He has a, a job to go and to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus tells this man to go and tell all that the Lord has done. Go and tell all that the Lord has done. You see, sometimes we think, uh, for those of you who are Christians here, sometimes we think that that we're not good enough to to tell people about Jesus. We don't have the right words or we're not capable, we're not able to speak to people. But if you have a story about how Jesus transformed your life, like Urien shared a little bit with us, and how Jesus was working in his life, if you have a story to tell, Jesus says, go and tell that story. You see, through you sharing your story about how you came to faith in Christ, one person might be drawn to faith as well. Or two, or three, or a thousand. I just want to say to you, if you're a Christian, if you have a testimony in this place this morning, that testimony is far too good to keep to yourself. You see, this after this man experienced this transforming power, he gave everything to Jesus. He didn't want to live for himself or for anything else anymore. He wanted to live for Jesus. And we've, we're going to sing in a few minutes our, our final hymn. And this, the hymn is, All to Jesus I Surrender. That's what this man did. That's what this man gave. He, he basically he, he, he said to Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. But if I can't be with you, if I can't go where you go, I want to work for you. So what's your response this morning? What's your response to God through his word? Are you going to be like the villagers who, and you're going to say, following you is just going to cost me too much, Jesus? Or like this man, are you going to say all to Jesus, I surrender? And so as we sing this, this hymn in closing, If that is your prayer, sing this hymn in full praise to God. Sing it as your response to God. Sing all to Jesus, I surrender. If you have any questions, please feel free to come and speak to me or speak to David or speak to anyone on the team. In fact, I would encourage you all to speak to the people on the team and find out their story about how Jesus transformed their lives. But what's your response this morning? Let's stand and sing this hymn together all to Jesus let's pray Father God we come before you and we thank you for the word that you have let us read this morning we thank you that we have first of all your word in a language that we can read and that we can understand but Lord God we pray that as we have turned to your word that uh, your word would have been very relevant to, to us all here but particularly relevant to some Lord God we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would draw people to yourself that you would enable that convicting power, that, uh, that saving power, that transforming power in people's lives even here this morning. Lord, for those of us who are Christians and for those of us who might even turn to you this morning, we pray 
that we would be able to say all to Jesus, I surrender. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray now that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.